Welcome back to Energetically You. I'm your host, Megan Swan. Here on the podcast, we talk all things optimal wellness, abundant mindset, and empowered decision making. I'm a wellness coaching consultant and the founder of Megan Swan Wellness and Sustainable Integrated Wellness Approach. I work with high performance women to thread more wellness into their lifestyle so that they can become so that it can become a way of life and not just a check mark on their to-do list. After working with me, women have more magnetic energy, confidence from within, and then ultimately make more aligned and empowered decisions for themselves. I am on a mission to empower more women through optimal wellness. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to interview Ellen Sentier. She is a best-selling author of British Native Shamanism. She is a quirky wilderness woman who is deeply connected with nature. She comes from a long family lineage of cunning folk and was brought up as an Awanin, Awanid. I'm going to have to ask her what that means. Well, it means spirit keeper, but the root of the word, it's A W E N. Y-D-D. I've never seen that before. In the old magical traditions of Britain, a qualified transpersonal psychotherapist, Ellen helps clients become their true selves, rewild their hearts, and find what makes their hearts sing. Ellen has also taught her work through an apprenticeship and three-year advanced course for over 30 years. She lives in the Welsh marshes with her husband. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. So let's dive in. Welcome, Ellen. How are you? What is new today? Uh, hi, Megan. It's really good to be here and it's wonderful to meet you. And I feel I'm having lots of uh, conversations with people across the pond at the moment. I think you're my third in three weeks. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah, well, I'm quite um, far south. I'm in Mexico, so I'm definitely across the pond and then south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us, let's start there with, with your book. Can you define British shamanism and what how it differs from any other shamanism? Well... I don't know that it actually differs that terribly much from the indigenous peoples elsewhere. Um, This is not core shamanism. It is not uh, the same sort of thing at all. Well, it is roughly, but it isn't. Because this has been going on for thousands of years. Um, My family have been involved well involved they've been following the old ways for generations many many generations and so in that sense it's not something that you go on go away on a weekend course or learn over you know by going a seat going a going abroad or anything like that it's here it's the real thing it's what's been going on for years Of course, we've been keeping our heads down for the past couple of thousand years because we started to get quite a lot of bad press, oh, certainly from the time the Romans came over and then again from when the Normans came over. So we're quite used to looking very normal, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so tell us a bit about what it was like growing up for you and having that sort of weaved into your life. Well, 
for me, of course, because it was woven into my life right from being a baby, it was normal. So my problems really began when I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> and not so much in the village, because I grew up in a little village, um, first on Dartmoor and then on Exmoor. And so the village people, some of them were also into the old ways and some of them were not. But they all knew about each other and we all knew about each other. So it wasn't really terribly hard then. But, of course, when I went away to what we call secondary school here, you know, when I was 11, it was a lot different because you were meeting people in the town, um, people who didn't know anything about this, and it was very, very easy to make a mistake and to start telling the other children but wasn't it wonderful you know I was out with Uncle Jack last week and he just put his hand up as usual and a minute later there was a wild hawk on his fist mm. <laughs> and uh, that's normal to me but all the other kids were there going what you're making it up <laughs> and that's quite hard to go through mm -hmm. so again I was learning to keep my head down but not stopping and we had wonderful times celebrating the seasons of course um we celebrated the dead and something which is quite odd for many people is the children particularly the girls would help prepare a dead body in the village so i was used to it you know you'd hear from mum sort of well you know granny down the bakery she died on sunday you know you better go around and help mrs weber to put her to bed and <laughs> so you did Mm -hmm. And you get quite a different attitude towards dead bodies and death. So that was very different. We celebrate, as I said. We live with nature. I am a wilderness woman. I was grown up, as I said, I grew up on the moors, grew up in little villages. So it's very much in the blood. It isn't really about... I think, well, I've got students who've done other trainings and things like that, and they've learned things late on, whereas I grew up doing them. Come on, you know, we're going up the hill, we've got to celebrate May Day. Mm -hmm. And so that is a big difference because it's a normal sort of thing, and it's what your village did too. That was something I found, oh, it was great fun when I came up here to Shropshire because I was born, as I said, down in Devon lived down there for a long time, went to London for 25 years, came back and sort of moved up country. So I was used to Devonshire ways. That's what I grew up with. Shropshire ways are very similar, but I've met a lot of magic people. Again, you wouldn't know them, pass them in the supermarket, you know, just like me, just like mm -hmm. anybody else. And they've got slightly different ways here. And that has been very interesting I've got friends in Scotland, their ways are a little different. My mum's people came from Yorkshire, their ways are a little different. So it's a way of life, Megan. And it's also very good for the things that you like, like keeping well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm fascinated by it. Can you deconstruct this word? Like, what is, I've never seen it before, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Awin, Awin? Right. R when is. 
R when is. Oh, I completely yeah. didn't have that. It's so. Welsh, uh, which is the old British language. Um, so double D is sounded like TH. That really oh. helps you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> when you get double L, you have to go, oh, which sounds okay. really weird. <laughs> Um, it's very similar to um, Cornish and the languages they speak in Brittany. Um, so it's very much a west coast of that side of Europe. Is has a lot of similarities. Okay, so that way it sounds a little bit more like wind or spirit. Well, it does. Arwen is the word for spirit. Mm-hmm. And the Y-double-D, the is on the end of it, is that is a person who is a spirit keeper, one mm. who knows spirit. Um, the plural is lovely too, Arwenithion. So you add, mm. when there's lots of you, you add I-O-N on the end. <laughs> <laughs> Ashun, I like it. And I, yeah. Um, and, and then I also really loved how you said um, cunning folk, and I'm guessing it's intentionally capitalized. Oh, yes. Yes. Tell me about that. Uh, mm. What's your concept of cunning first off? Let me ask you one first and start it off. Uh, well, at this point in my life, I would say sort of like a magnetic energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's cunning is similar to the word con and the old word con means to know. It doesn't mean to sort of do somebody out of something. Mm-hmm. And so it's partly related to knowing, conning. Um, the Scottish call it kenning, K-E-N-N-I-N-G. And so it's the people who know. And if you know anybody called Cunningham, for instance, mm-hmm. their family will go back there. Because Cunningham is one of the old names that grew out of cunning folk. So cunning folk are people who know the ways of herbs. They know the ways of trees. They are very empathic. They can very likely, you know, like we say in coaching, we say read the room. Yeah. Well, you you can read the room. You can go in there and you feel the energies. So the magnetic energy is good, you see. Because you do, you feel the energies. And you know the old ways and you practice them. You know them by doing rather than by learning in a book and going through exams or anything like that. And you sometimes learn by falling flat on your face, of course, because everybody does that. <laughs> yeah. And does that help you at all? Because they've been Yeah, so it's almost, it's, it's like... Um... That for me, that knowing in the, is the being, is the embodiment, is sort of the more recent, recently popular term. Yeah, yeah. Oh, embodiment's quite old. You embody spirit, which of course we do anyway, but um, when you know that you're doing it, you're doing it consciously. So, in a sense, the cunning folk are conscious. Hmm. you do this consciously you go out into the garden and you know you're going to go and look at the lettuces or something but you're also looking at them energetically so that you're also feeling that oh that ground's a bit dry or oh that ground's a bit wet um i need to do something about that 
when you're really into it, you completely confuse the neighbours if you live in a town because they're saying, you all right, guys, what would you like? Shall I put some straw down beside you? <laughs> and they say, who are you talking to? I'm talking to the lettuces, but don't you? <laughs> uh... so, so you can look a little daft, but uh, depends whether you mind looking a little daft. Yes. Well, can we circle back a bit? Because I feel like um, I, you know, I, I love that we were talking about being closer to death and dead bodies mm. here in Mexico. The culture is, is similar yes. in that there's is. Mm. a lot more celebration around honoring your death, your yeah. dead, as they call them. And um, similarly, when someone passes away, family comes, you know, they get on airplanes to to spend the last 24 hours, well, not the last, the first 24 hours that the body is dead. And it's usually open casket. I mean, it's it's yeah. just like, like they're still there, you know? That's yeah. very much how they see it. And there's definitely people that are upset, but there's also like a lot of community and support and um, a lot of grieving goes on in those first 24 hours, whereas... Yeah. You know, I can't from, um, I'm Canadian, but I have Irish roots and, you know, there's a lot of stiff upper lip and, you know, everything being kind of, you know, you wear black and you do the thing and, and there's not like a lot of talking at the event. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of silence as somehow honoring the dead. Yeah. And uh, it's just such, such a different, different well, way I of looking find, at it. I, I agree with you. Um if you go back to Ireland and you go to a wake, you won't find that. I don't know whether you ever have, but the singing no. and dancing. I've been to Ireland, but I'm not to a wake. No, it's it's pretty good. It is in Scotland, and it can be in parts of Britain in England too. But no, it's it's you know, well you know, George is gone. We've got to have a party. Um, we're <laughs> going to celebrate the old bugger because he's gone and he was all right in life, you know. Okay, so he sort of did you down on that. But it's all right, really. And you get all of the stuff coming out. Mm. I had this, um, I mean, maybe it'd be um, interesting to tell you about my own father's passing and my stepmother's passing as well, because they were much more like that. This was in a North Devon village on the edge of Exmoor. And we're not very far from the church, so... We didn't need a hearse, and the old road, there's an old lane from where they lived, which takes you straight through to the churchyard. And so Dad was walked there. I don't know whether you know what that means. You, There's sort of six men carry the coffin mm-hmm. on their shoulders up the, the walk lane, up the lane. Um, and it's... Some of them are roads of the dead, and certainly they will have been, and that's part of our old tradition that you take care of a road for the dead that leads from a place where people live to a place where people go back into the earth or go back into the fire or wherever they go. So they walk, we all walked out up the lane, and it's a whole procession, and a lot of people did wear dark colours, but not everybody. And... When it was Dad, um, my stepmom was first in the queue after the coffin. Um, but I was right with her as well. But as his lady, as his wife, she took the place of honour behind him. 
and it's walked up and then the other people in the village they're all standing round the gate it's a lich gate in that church which is a lovely covered gate with a wooden porch and they're all standing round and there was sort of like whoa here he comes whoa and the sort of semi cheering when he came Mm. And the vicar standing on the steps, waiting for him. And then we all went in, and we went into the church and did the service, and people spoke. And there were tears, and some people's voices broke when they were, you know, talking about him. And then we put him in the ground, because that's what Dad wanted. And we all throw a a bit of earth on the coffin. I don't know whether you do over Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there was the celebration which was back at our house and everybody brought something to eat or to drink so we all turned up in the house in the living room in the kitchen in the other front room hanging about in the corridors and everybody was chatting everybody was talking and everybody was helping make enough tea and coffee for everybody and um, opening bottles if people wanted a beer which was fine so it was quite a party it went on for about three or four hours I think which was lovely Mm -hmm. and one thing that was absolutely amazing there when my mother my mother died when I was very young um, three and a half Mm. of cervical cancer and I knew and Dad took me to the funeral and this sort of thing. And we had her laid out on the dining room table, open casket. People came round. So I saw her and that was fine. And we went to the grave and we, Dad had sort of said, you can pick up some earth and just drop it on Mum. It'll be fine. And so I'd done that. And I took his hand and I said, Dad, Mum isn't really in the box, is she? And he said, no, love, it's fine. She's fine. We'll miss her and she, we won't see her again down here. But she's fine now. She's not ill anymore. And it's all lovely. And that made such a difference of closure for me. And I can see it now, um, looking back. So anyway, there was Dad dead and we were all in the party. And um, one of my nephews is on the spectrum, quite deeply on the spectrum. And he got a bit confused because he wanted to walk right next door to Grandpa. And we had to sort of say, no, I'm sorry. Grandma's got to walk there, but you can come and walk beside me. That was fine. Anyway, I was making tea. And James comes in the kitchen. And he says, Ellen? Yes, James, what is it? And he said, Grandpa wasn't in the box, was he? And wow, did that hit me. (laughs) It was just like amazing. And then when stepmother died, um, I didn't do the tea at the house because the whole village came along and said, oh, we'll do the tea for you in the village hall. You come along there. Hmm. And again, everybody put it together. Everybody was there. Everybody was chatting, went on for hours. Um, We even had some music and some dancing and the kiddies danced, which was nice. So it's a lot different. And of course, everybody cried. And I missed them. But it was okay. I wish we could do more of that. Yeah, well, I mean, the crime's essential, right? Absolutely. But so, it, sorry, on. go ahead. Go on. But it, it's, it's not everything. The grief mm-hmm. is something to 
have as deeply as you can and then w- walk through and come out the other side. Mm-hmm. So do you do any practices currently or rituals that help you feel connected to your dead? Chat to them. <laughs> um, yeah, yes and no. Um, when you've been brought up with it, and maybe this is a little different to, say, core shamanism or something, I'm never not talking with other world. We call our old ways walking, walking between the worlds. Mm-hmm. So you've always got a foot in other world, as we call it, the spirit world, but you've also got a good foot in this world and you're grounded. And things can happen. I had a touch wood, she says, touching her table. Yeah. I've certainly just been helping a friend of mine's dog um, about five, six days ago. The poor, poor girl, the poor dog, um, was discovered to have renal failure. Mm. Now that's terminal. Mm-hmm. And my friend was, of course, in a right state because her dog's only three and a half. And it's sort of like, no, no, this shouldn't be happening. And, of course, it is happening, but there you go. And so she said, you know, can you do anything? Which is really nice because she, I won't rush in and try and heal the dog. But mm-hmm. I will go and give the dog energy or a person to do with what they need. If it, that means they've got to die, then I give them energy to help them die. So I asked my otherworldly gang and they said, yeah, you can help the dog. All I had to do was, I was there with my cat. I was actually cuddling my cat with my face in her fur because she helps as well. And it was like this golden energy, this great huge river of golden energy was pouring down into the dog. And it lasted for about five minutes. So I thought, oh, well, you know, that looked good. I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that has actually pushed her over into death or whether she's getting any better. So this morning, my friend called and said she's been out for a walk and sent me a little video of her playing. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether this is just a remission or whether she's decided and Otherworld has decided that she can stay for a bit longer. I don't know. And that's not my business. But that all I did was just say, can I? There was no sort of ritual. Can I do this? And then it says, yes, you do it now. And you know that inside you. And yes, you've got to involve the cat, because the cat's like what we call my familiar spirit. So the cat and I were there sending energy to the dog. And then all of a sudden it just goes, turn off. And it's gone. You go, oh, right, okay. I'll wait and hear what's happening to that. So it's not... You don't have to sort of like light candles or do anything like that. You can if you want to, but it's not necessary. You just have to be there, being a channel for this energy and not getting in the way. Learning to do that, we do that by learning by doing rituals. But once somebody has got the hang of it and what we call got it in their bones, then, you know, they find themselves suddenly in a street accident bang I'm on it and then oh I'm off it it's it's over I don't need to be there anymore whatever with the person does that make any sense (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it does. So I'm curious, what are some could be rituals or sort of traditions that you celebrate in the next coming months? Cause there are many, um, that are maybe not what most people celebrate. Well, we've just done one, which is the autumn equinox. Um, and we've got four. Oh, no, we've got eight. And four of them are because of what the sun does. And that's like midwinter, spring equinox, midsummer and autumn equinox. And those are things that happen in the universe for the sun. Mm-hmm. But in the middle, in between each of those, we've got four more. And they are particularly about the earth, what the earth is doing. So at the beginning of, at the autumn equinox, that is the beginning of winter. Um, And it will go, well, no, sorry, that is the beginning, that is the middle of autumn. That is autumn coming in. I'm getting this wrong. Excuse me. Start again. (laughs) Autumn is the beginning of autumn. Then the next one we have, we call Samhain, which is spelled S-A-M-H-I-A-N, and it's Halloween. Mm -hmm. Now, that is halfway between autumn and midwinter. So that midwinter is called midwinter, so Samhain is the beginning of winter. And then the other side of winter, um, halfway between midwinter and spring equinox, we've got what we call Imolk. Now that's got funny spelling too. It's I-M-B-O-L-C, and we don't say most of it. We just say Imolk um, <laughs> instead of Imbolk, <laughs> which it is. you can say that, but um, people may not recognize you. And that being the beginning, being in between midwinter and spring equinox, that is like the end of winter and the beginning of spring. And it's a turnover. Each one of those is for us for us a threshold. So you arrive at this. I mean, autumn equinox I love. Well, I love the equinoxes because it's that balance point. You know, mm. the one, two moments in the year when you've actually got 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of dark. And there are only those two moments at spring and autumn when you have it. And it's a real pivotal point. So... One of the things we do, it's part of the practices, is as you come up to any of these seasons, what has happened to you between this season and the last season? And you can just sit there with a cup of tea and the cat in your lap if you want (laughs) and make a list of what's happened. And it's quite nice to have a two-column list so that you've got the things that you didn't like very much and the things that you did like. And you then go through what we call a thanking thing. Because even the things that you didn't like, even the things that hurt, that you wished couldn't, shouldn't and couldn't have happened, they will all have brought you something. They will all have brought you gifts. They will all have had something for you to learn and grow from. So go through them and sort of say, well, you know, that man ran into my car and it was really annoying and it cost me 500 quid or something. What did I learn from it? So you go right back over the whole event. You sort of think, well, actually, I wasn't looking when I came out of that tourney. Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe he learned something because of the way you responded to them. To him. And so you actually go through this thing 
And it's the pivotal little moments that happen in your life. Like you drop your fav- favourite teacup and smash it. <laughs> and that's sort of pretty heartbreaking, really. But it's sort of like, okay, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. And you just go through those the evening before equinox. And some people bury the piece of paper they've written it on. Some people put it in the fire and let it go. Some people actually hang on to it and compare it to last time and then compare it again to next time. What you do is what you feel is appropriate. We're not very good at having sets of rules. In fact, there's an absolutely lovely phrase that we say of ourselves is you get a load of uh, Arwenesian or a load of pagans in a room and um, it's like herding kittens. You can't get the same opinion out of any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was actually going to touch on that as you were talking in the beginning about how you noticed that there were quite unique perspectives and even just little towns close to where you grew up. And so what is the general attitude amongst like-minded people? I mean, is there any sort of anybody trying to convince someone else of their opinion or there's more of this well there can be i mean you always get somebody who's got to be right um you know you think yeah we're all right darling don't worry about it um but, uh, whatever whatever turns you on um there's quite a lot of that attitude but no i mean there are as many opinions as there are people and we're not we're all, I suppose we're really quite anarchical in a way. We're not ruled by each other. Then be somebody who's walked further down the path than you and you really respect them. Um, and I've got a couple of people like that. And I, no, I've got to ask, you know, Lila what she thinks because I know she's got something to say. Um, but they're not your queen or your goddess or anything like that. They're somebody who's walked further. And every now and again, they can be wrong. Another, um, one of my teachers, years and years and years ago, lovely woman called Barbara. And I've been not quite worshipping her, but I was pretty well on her case <laughs> at the time. And um, poor woman, I feel for her now. And uh, <laughs> it's awful when somebody does that. Anyway, um, she said something Um, which is a bit private, so I won't share it. Um, And I suddenly went, oh, that is not what I think. And she hasn't actually seen me. And it was like suddenly she'd got ordinary feet of clay. Mm -hmm. And I still love her and loved her very much and listened to her and, you know, went to learn from her and that. But suddenly she wasn't a goddess anymore. And it was absolutely stunningly wonderful and quite heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. When you lose somebody you think is, you know, the best thing since sliced cat food, then... <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You I like that twist. <laughs> but you know what I mean by that. Yes. Um, then you, you've lost them. But you haven't, of course. They've just become themselves in your eyes. And you've mm-hmm. taken them off the pedestal that you put them on and taken their halo off and their crown and everything else. 
which is probably well having had it done to me it's very relieving when somebody lets you go and you think yeah I am just a woman it's fine <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can relate at the very least doing that with their parents at some point you know at yeah. some point you take them off this depends on how early yeah it's a teenager thing as well isn't it that <laughs> yeah yeah I'm about to go into it <laughs> <laughs> I'm relishing the last days of, you know, someone really respecting my opinion around here in the house. <laughs> it's fine. Teenage, teenagers rule the world. It's absolutely marvelous. <laughs> they know everything. So, you know, it's yes, dear, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned how having ritual at the beginning helps you sort of tune into this energy maybe yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any recommendations or tips for us on that inner trust? Because again, you pointed out that it's more of just what you feel should be done in the moment or, you know, just Mm -hmm. with the example of the paper, but it could be on a much grander scale. Yeah. Oh, it's it. And it is. And well, that's the very starting exercise. And it's about connecting between Mother Earth and Father Son, as we call it. And I've got it um, on a recording on my website, so people can get it there. Um, We call it Earth Son. And all you do is just be quiet, sit quiet. You don't have to sort of go into special lotus positions or hold your thumbs and fingers in funny positions just be quiet and reach down through your body feel yourself feel something like quivering down your spine is a good one going right down into the earth and through the crust of the earth and through the rocks and through the molten rocks and right down into the heart cave of mother earth and there you'll meet the spirit of mother earth And you've brought with you this thread that is you, which comes from your heart, and it's quivered down your bones and down through the earth. And Mother Earth has a thread in her spirit too. And she takes you in her arms, maybe you dance, play together, and then she says, come on. And you, with both of your threads, you go back up, up the thread, up through the earth, through your body, out of the top of your head, and out across the atmosphere, across space, to the sun. And there you dive into the sun through all this beautiful golden flame, right into the golden heart of the sun. And there you meet the spirit of the sun. And the sun has a thread attached to his spirit. It's masculine for us. His spirit. And the three threads twine together. And the three of you dance and play and hug together. And then Father Sun says, come on. And he dives out of the sun. You go with him. And Mother Earth comes with you. And the three of you back across space, back down through the atmosphere, through the top of your head, down your spine, and back down to the heart of the Earth again. And you keep just let that keep happening, going up to the sun and down to the earth with the sun and earth spirits with you and after a little while father son will sort of say well 
that's it for me for today. I'm going to stay here. So you Mother Earth go back and you go back to the heart of the Earth. And she says, well, it's time for you to be off on your own now. And so you leave Mother Earth there and you come back into your own heart. And gradually, slowly, carefully, you wake up. But now you always have that thread that you took to the centre of the Earth and to the centre of the Sun. And it's always there in the background, in the background of your consciousness. And you can draw on that all the time. Even little things like, I don't know, you cut your hand cutting the vegetables. Have a quick grab on that energy on the thread. You're going to meet the bank manager for a loan. Grab on that energy for the thread for Mother Earth and, and Father Son. You know, you've got a, you want a parking space. Grab on the energy. Give me a parking space, please, near where I want to be. Even little tiny things. And it's not disrespectful to ask for that. I mean, not unless you're being a spoiled brat about it, but most of us are not. <laughs> and you've got this all the time. But if you do it every day, preferably when you get up and sometime in the evening, you'll find it becomes a habit. And you can get on that thread very quickly so that it's always there. You can use it to choose food. You can use it when you go to the doctors. You can use it when you've got a cold. It's beautiful. I love that practice. It's not quite Harry Potter, but it works. Uh, well, tell us, Ellen, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? You mentioned your website. Is there anything else in specific you want to draw people's attention to? Before we well, um, the website is the best place to get hold of me. And um, what you might like, um, I don't know whether people do calls through Zoom and things like that, but you can book a call with me if you want to chat with me through the website and that's a very good way of getting in touch and if you look on the website you'll see lots of things that I do I do retreats for women um, I'm just doing starting a new one next year which is um, soul retrievals for business women mm. because when you're really pushing your business and I'm sure we all know that you can lose bits of yourself mm -hmm. because I can't manage that now I've got to do this and it'll be some work and I hope a retreat where you can find that bit again. So you can find what I do on the website. You can get in touch with me on Facebook and Instagram. It's just my name. And um, love to meet you. Wonderful. Where are your retreats usually? Are they close by where you are? Yeah, at my home. I, I live in a huge, great rambling old farmhouse on, in the hills in Shropshire. Um, miles from towns and miles from any main roads and I can put up eight people here and mm. so the retreats are eight people plus me and um, another friend who helps me um, so this mm, sounds magical and we go and walk in the hills and play in my garden which is wild and enormous <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and 
uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. Any last little bit of wisdom you want to leave us with? Oh, go wild, people. Go wild. Be spontaneous. <laughs> Climb out of your box. Have fun. <laughs> Perfect. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much for being here and listening in to Energetically You. If you want to support the show, you can share the episode with a friend, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, possibly give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined, and you can always follow me on social media, tell me what you thought of the episode. You can find me on pretty much every platform at Megan Swan Wellness. Hope you have an amazing day.